0: This morning, we're going to continue on the series that we started a few weeks ago, which was Weary World Rejoice. And uh, if uh, it's your first time here, if you happen to miss uh, a few of the previous uh, messages in the last week, two weeks ago, Rich preached about the subject of hope, and last week, it was Josh that uh, talked about peace. And today, we're going to be talking about the topic of joy, but in keeping with title of our overall series. Uh, We're going to talk about joy in a very specific context, which is going to be in the context of living in a weary world. So I hope you weren't getting your hopes too high There's going to be a very cheery message, because it's going to be a little bit uh, ambivalent in that regard. So every year as we approach Christmas, I find that there's a very interesting phenomenon that takes place. Wherever you look at Our culture, the media, whether it's online or on the radio, TV, it just tries to blast you with very motivational, happy images. The fire in the fireplace, calm, snowy landscapes, uh, jolly old Nick being plastered everywhere, very cheery Christmas song, or even all the really cheesy Netflix romantic comedies that, that not enough people have enough time in a lifetime to watch them all. But the thing is, when you think about it, Christmas time is not that joyful of a time period when compared to the rest of the year. For students, it means finals. It means the the, the long nights of cramming and the stress of will I make it or won't I. For parents, it could mean picking up a few extra shifts at work and doing overtime to be able to afford all the additional expense that come with the season. And then that's not counting that right now we live in time where there's always the potential of a fourth wave that could throw out any of the best-laid plans that we might have come up with. And that's not even counting also uh, that for a lot of people, uh, all the family gatherings and the close contact with their, their relatives might put even more strains on relationships that are already at, at their breaking point. Uh, it's no wonder that the National Institute of Health says that. Christmas time is the time where there's the most incidences of depression, at least that's for North America. It's also the time of the year where there's the most incidences of suicide and attempted suicide. See, I warned you, it's not all cheery. (laughs) Uh, So, under the veneer of joy that we're we're just kind of being sold and that we're trying to convince ourselves exists, there's real feelings of grief, fear, loneliness, guilt, So why is it that we find so much weariness at a time where really we ought to be happy? I mean, it's the day that celebrates the birth of our Lord. Well, the simple answer to that is that there's a strong distinction that needs to be made between the worldly joy and the holy joy, the divine joy. There's one that the culture just tries to sell us, and there's the the authentic joy that God has set aside for us. The pursuit of joy is not anything new, though. Uh, just look at the Declaration of Independence, which is a few hundred years back. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That was the foundational ideas that helped them build this country from the ground up. Uh, just from that, we know, like, they, they went to war for these ideas. They, they, they staked their lives for that idea. It's definitely something that is a strong motivator for people. So if that's such like a gut-entrenched feeling that we have, the question is not so much about do we seek joy. I mean, everyone does. The, the question is where do we seek our joy? A lot of people will experience joy from a lot of sinful behaviors. I mean, clearly that's not what the kind of joy that God has envisioned for us. It's not the plan that he has for us. When Jesus talks about this death and resurrection to his disciple, he actually contrasts these two types of joy in a very helpful way. Uh, he says in John 16:22, "Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy." So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice." and no one will take your joy from you. So I said, these are the two types of joy that Jesus really contrasts. On the one hand, you have the world rejoicing as death. It's a finite, selfish, self-serving, fleeting, and primal kind of joy. It leaves just as fast as it started. On the Mount of Calvary, people cheered as Jesus got crucified, but then they just walked home empty, it was like the joy was gone. It's a joy that fulfills its need for a very short period of time and then just leaves you wanting for the next hit. On the other hand, you have the joy that the disciples are gonna feel at the return of Jesus when they see him again. It's a joy that has perjured throughout their entire mission career for almost a full century after uh, the events of the birth of Jesus but it's also a joy that in Jesus' own word, no one can take it from us. It's a joy that is eternal and that will carry on forever and ever. That that second kind of joy is the kind of joy that we ought to seek. We must pursue as believer of Christ. A joy that is rooted not in the physical or the material, but in the gift of the eternal life, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So let's talk about This divine joy. In Luke 1, there is a poem that is commonly referred to as the Magnificat. It's a song from Mary while she's pregnant, as she arrives and meets her cousin Elizabeth. She's overcome by the Spirit, and she just has this prophetic song of praise uh, towards the Lord. And she says the tone very quickly at what kind of a a song it is. Uh, The first verse of it is, my soul magnifies the Lord, And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So again, rejoice. She is happy about the blessing that God has bestowed on her, that the Christ is going to be born very soon. But what's even more interesting about this song is that she actually lists off all the things that Jesus will perform, like this purpose for him Going from his place in heaven and coming on earth. So I'll go through uh, the list quickly. It might show up on on the screen as I go. Uh, So she said, He who is mighty has done great things for me. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As I read these, you might have recognized things that. Oh, I read a story about that in the New Testament as Jesus is performing miracles, helping people, healing the sick. Or it might be something that you've noticed like, hey, he did that in my own life. But What's really interesting here is that all these points, Mary positions them in the past. It's all past tense. All the verbs are referring something that has already happened, even though we know at her time Jesus wasn't even born So what do we take from that? We have to take from that that even though all all those things are things that are going to happen, at the very least from Mary's point of view, and even in some event from our point of view, we can see like those are things that will be accomplished, they are already accomplished. They've already been accomplished in Christ, in God, and that's why it's written in the past. In the same way, we have all these reasons to rejoice today, knowing that Everything has been accomplished, and that as we look forward, everything will be reconciled in Christ. So let me ask you all a question, and I I want you to like actually take the time to to think about it for a moment. Where do you find your joy, especially in like this period of advent, where we we look forward to uh, maybe being off work, off school, spending time with family, getting all kinds of presents? Where, Where do you seek your joy? Not only where do you get it from, but where where do you actually look? In what dark places of your life do you actually uh, have the reflex to go seek a joy? Is it from the things you own, your possessions? Is it for some self-seeking endeavor? Is it from the satisfying of a strong desire of the flesh? Maybe it's something a little bit more innocuous. Uh, Is it the satisfaction of a job well done? the praise and respect of your peers, the warm and fuzzy feeling that you get from helping people or giving away to the people in need. Or maybe it's just that you're very extrovert and social people and you get all your joy from seeing all the people around you also being joyful and that kind of cheer you up at the same time. The point is, these things in and of themselves are not necessarily bad. the mistake that we make is that we tend to mistake those things for the real joy that God has set aside for us. We may have the privilege of living a very sheltered life, very happy life where all the good things happen to us, or maybe we just live in this world where we lie to ourselves about all that thing and maybe we're not actually that happy. But the important thing is that we need to realize that All the the joys of, like the worldly joys, they just pale in comparison to the eternal joy that God has set aside for us. One thing that I want to particularly stress out here, and I kind of pick my word carefully, is that I don't want people to leave here and think that what I'm saying is that you shouldn't enjoy the worldly things. Uh, spending time with family, spending time with your friends, having a strong sense of accomplishment for a job well done, even in some cases, like uh, having some uh, maybe not pride, but so, some feeling some joy at uh, like excitement at new experiences, new things there 's nothing bad about that the important actually like we should probably uh, it is a very healthy thing to enjoy all the blessings that God has given us. We should rejoice in all the def- blessings. We just have to make sure that we don't confound that and we don't mistake that for being what God hasn't planned for us. Those things are separate. James starts his epistle with a particularly oxymoronic bit of advice uh, when he, he writes to, to, to the church. Um, he says, and that's in John 1, verse 2 and 3, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Pure joy. That is very strong wording. And what's even harder to understand is that it says that you experience pure joy from the times of trial. How are we to find pure joy in the most difficult time in our lives? Well, it's not because James lives in some bizarro land where, like, for him, like, oh, something is hard, I'm going to be happy about it. Uh, it's because he has a different attitude towards uh, all the trials that come up, and he wants to share that attitude with the church he's writing to. The, the important words in that verse are we know that the testing of our faith leads to perseverance. It is our faith in Christ that is at the very root of our ability to enjoy. The moment to enjoy throughout the trials. That divine joy is rooted in our faith, and it's because of that faith in Jesus' sacrifice and the promise that He's made for us that we can hold on to it, even in the most trying of times. I want to leave you all on a word of encouragement. I like to uh, give people something to uh, ruminate. Over the week, as you go, uh, some verse to, to think about, meditate upon, maybe open your Bible, try to figure out uh, in, in deeper ways, like what it means to you, what it means to the things about you. Uh, so the, the verse for today is Proverb ten twenty eight, And it says, The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. I'll read that one again. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. So while the band gets up and uh, gets us ready to lead up into worship, I want to invite everyone here to actually look at yourself to get time today, tomorrow, this week, whenever you have time, and make an inventory of the things that bring you joy in your life. Maybe the list is going to be very, very long. Maybe the list is going to be incredibly short. Either way, uh, I'm hoping that this exercise will kind of help you uh, refocus uh, on what is important at Christmas. Not to focus on the presents or the experiences, but really focus on the beautiful sacrifice that Jesus has done for us, and by extension, our his birth has just put into motion this incredible plan that leads to your salvation. This Christmas, let's not just think about all the manufactured joy that advertisement and all the, the other marketing plots that we have tries to sell us. Uh, you shouldn't derive your joy from things that you can buy. But instead, uh, try to look for the joy. Turn to the one who can give you the joy that no one can take away from us, if you uh, give a throwback to, to the original verses.